Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning. Man, that hour of sleep matters, doesn't it? Dang, how does an hour matter? I mean, I can go to bed an hour late, doesn't bother me, but you take that hour away, I feel like somebody robbed me. And uh, if you hadn't noticed, wasn't it great to have Kirsten back with us this weekend? Yeah. (laughs) Kirsten fell out of the will of God and moved somewhere else in the country, but God brought her back for a weekend, so we didn't want to miss uh, miss the opportunity. Well... Next weekend, we're kicking off uh, a new series called The Way, and it's really a story about the way of Jesus to the cross and to the resurrection. It's taking the five weeks that we have leading up to Easter, and it's taking these memorable moments of a temple and the tables of perfume and feet, of tears in the garden, which, which seemed at the moment like random events, and then it's, it's weaving them together because in hindsight, we see that they meant so, so much more. But that's next week. This weekend, we wanted to wrap together Thrive, as we've done over the past years. And when we put uh, the conference together and we were looking at the list of speakers, I thought this would be a great opportunity because one of our speakers was Andy Needham. And some of you may remember Andy if you were part of our camp ministry going back a long it's hard because he's young. He's like younger than he's like young, he's younger than Al. And Al's young. Al's the oldest millennial guy I know, though. He's like but Andy uh, and the band, uh, Andy Needham Band, that was kind of where it got start, and Monadnock Bible Conference, where we, our kids went to camp for years, were involved in that. And I remember when Andy and his wife Bethany were at camp, and they met, and I mean, it's just this whole story. And then Andy has really been following God's leading in a number of ways. He and Bethany, I think Bethany, if I remember right, you were youth pastor at a church up in uh, the western suburbs, and uh, Andy has done a number of things. Notably, he started a worship conference for the Northeast, a children's conference for the Northeast, and a youth conference for the Northeast. All three of these our, our teams have been to. In other words, God's been using him in a great way. He uh, has spent the last couple of years working with Camp Berea uh, as a leader up there, and then recently went to work with the church network converged throughout the Northeast. But really, they have a heart for the work of the church. Um, And here's what I've noted about Andy. He comes with a certain wisdom and humility that is refreshing, and I knew that he would be a blessing to us on this Thrive weekend. So I'm going to ask Andy to come. Cape Cod Church, would you help me to welcome Andy Needham as he comes to speak to us? Thank you, Ben. I got it. I'm going to hold it. Good morning, Cape Cod Church. How are we doing today? We're doing good. It is good to be with you. Let me, just, let me just build on what has already been shared here. I was, had the privilege this weekend of being together for the Thrive Conference, and God is doing a really special thing here. And I know that there's the visible parts of it that we've, we talked about, and Brittany did a great job highlighting some of those things. Seeing pastors and leaders and churches unite together, serve communion, pray together, be in fellowship. But I just wanted to pull back the curtain on just one conversation that I had this weekend that gives you an insight to what God is doing. I was sitting with some of the pastors at lunchtime, and there was a number 
number of them, and Ben was kind of holding court there with probably 12 pastors from the region. And I was sitting next to a young church planter, and I can't unpack the whole conversation to you, but through the course of it, this dialogue started to come up, and he said, you know, this guy over here, he gave us chairs, and those chairs used to belong to Cape Cod Church, and Cape Cod Church gave him chairs, and now he doesn't need those chairs, so those chairs are now in our church plan. And this guy over here, we didn't have a place to meet during the pandemic because we were just getting started. We were meeting on a back porch, and it was getting cold, and this guy over here, he gave us, let us use his building. And then he said, you know, and Ben was the one who kind of gave me some counsel when I had this difficult situation here. And just in that one room, I think we got a picture of what God's heart is for the local church, that we would be like that, that God has a unique call on each church. God has a unique call on Cape Cod Church, but he also has this plan. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people with the all-sufficient Jesus. Amen? And that is what God is doing. And I just want to honor one more time, if you would just honor the leadership of this church, because there's something unique about the posture of humility that God has put upon your leaders, that they would not just be a place, but have the relationships to help make this happen. So can we just honor Pastor Ben and the team for all that they did? So I, I'm a native New Englander. I grew up in a small town, and, and I could describe my small town in a number of ways. You know, how, many, how few people live there, the fact that there was a time we were headed to church and we were late because the cows were crossing the road, all right? But the way that you know that you live in a small town in New England, there's, there's one way that you can know more than anything else. I grew up in a town that was so small that it did not have a Dunkin' Donuts, all right? So... <laughs> That you know, all right? Now, there is one there, all right? Times have changed, all right? They have a streetlight and a Dunkin' Donuts. But I also grew up in a very normal, a very normal New England church. Maybe 60 people at Easter. If we hit 100 people, that would be an amazing, an amazing thing. And, and God used that in my life in a powerful way. You see, my mom and dad, they were the kind of volunteers that every single pastor dreams about. We weren't just there when the doors were open at the church. We unlocked the doors. We shoveled the sidewalk, all right? That was us. First in, last out. That was the Needham family from the time I was very young. And I remember I came to faith in Christ, I think it was somewhere eight or nine years old. And I just remember I got baptized. It was a really special moment. And then I, just, I remember so clearly, they're like, all right, guess what? You're on the team now. You got to start carrying your weight, all right? And so what that looked like for me was I became the director of overhead transparencies, all right? So back, back before we had these fancy projectors and screens and all these things, we had this contraption, the very middle, medieval, between the hymnal and the LED projector called the overhead projector. And I was the original pro presenter, all right? That was my job, and that's what I did in the life of the church. But here's why that matters. From a very young age, my parents and this church helped instill something very important to me. Church was not a place to just go and attend. It was a people to belong to and a mission that I get to be a part of. And that has marked my life in so impactful ways. I can think of people, I'm sure you could think of people, that invested in you, that helped forge your faith, that set the foundations and the pillars of the faith on which you stand. I think of names like Marion Cutting, Alinda May, Jeff and Jean Cody, the Burbos. These aren't people who had big platforms or podcasts, but these are people who made Jesus visible to me. And that is such an impactful thing. It's something I am so thankful for. And today, a few decades later, I get the privilege of connecting with churches and leaders and encouraging them. And I want to give a word of encouragement to you today and kind of paint a picture that we see in Scripture of a pattern of transformation. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a very classic 
gospel narrative from the gospel of Luke. And if you grew up in church, if you've grown up around church like I did, then you've probably heard this taught many times. And if you're new here, it's going to be easy to follow. We get some simple ideas to kind of unpack together. But I think for all of us, whether it's a new a look for the first time or a look anew, that God has some things for us today that we can embrace, some profound and yet simple truths. So if you have a Bible or an app, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to start in verse 17 in just a minute here. This is a story of friendship. This is a story of true friends. And their ingenuity, their passion, and their faith changed the earthly plight and the eternal destiny of their paralytic friend. So this is the story from Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up in verse 17. You can follow along on the screen. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. This story is fairly early in Jesus' public ministry. It's kind of a tipping point, because at this point, word is starting to get out. And we start to hear of crowds that are gathering around to hear this teacher, this rabbi, Jesus. And this scene, I just want us to step into the scene. We know the end of the story, but here's the thing. As somebody who spent a lot of my life organizing events and, and conferences, this makes me anxious, all right? This was a chaotic scene, all right? It was people just packed in. There was no social distancing going on in this side, all right? It was, it was a mess. It was difficult. And, and these friends come, and you know that there's, there's a background to the story. There's a conversation that happens prior to them getting to the house. They have this plan. They have this hope. They have this ambition. They have a friend who is in need. They hear of this healer, Jesus. They gather together, and they set out to try to meet this healer, Jesus. And when they get there, I can imagine that there's a moment of reckoning, a moment of disappointment. You know, it would, it would be, you know, the restaurant that you wanted to go to, all the seats are full and it's an hour and a half wait. It's worse than that, all right? This is what they're going through. This is what they're experiencing. In verse 18 and 19, it says this, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. It was not looking promising. I can imagine there's a conversation. Can we get through the crowd? Can we go, is there a back door? Is there another way around? And then there's this, this has to be this one friend, right? The crazy friend that we all have that's like, I have an idea, all right? Some of you are that friend, all right? That's, that's you. 
And it says, we are going through the roof. These are friends who would not take no for an answer. What a powerful thing. The stakes were too high. The opportunity was too important. Verse 19, they went up on the roof. It took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And here's the lesson for you and me today. We need to be people who say yes to the mess. We need to be people, men and women, followers of Jesus, who say yes to the mess. Serving God, being a Jesus follower, it's not all up and to the right. It's not all pretty pictures. It's not even all prosperity. It is saying yes to the mess. It's messy. We live in a messy world with real people, with real problems. It's packed with mess. I don't think I'm breaking any news here today. We look around at our world. We, we, I don't think there's been a time, at least in my lifetime, it's important to say that, right, to have historic perspective, but in my lifetime, I don't think there's been a time when the brokenness of the world has been more evident. In almost every sphere of culture, the nations are raging, families are being ripped apart. I have dear friends who I love, who I've seen their marriages under tension and, and pressure right now. It is so difficult. The future seems unsure. There is an, a pandemic of anxiety and mental health issues that are just all over and at the front door and for many of us right inside of our only, own homes. Yes, the church is still the beautiful bride of Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. But again, church can be messy, right? Church can be messy. And these friends said yes to the mess of a disabled friend who couldn't walk. To make it real, like this was a friend who would have needed help on this journey to go to the restroom, to go to the bathroom. Like this was that level of care and intervention and intimacy. They said yes to the mess. They gave this friend dignity. They gave him friendship and they gave him hope. You know what's not messy? Empty religious practice. That's what's not messy. The Pharisees, they got there early. They had the front row seats. The religious leaders, they had a seat at the table. But this man in imminent need, it took a messy way. True religion, the type that James describes as looking after orphans and widows, rolling up your sleeves and diving in, that is messy. Here's the thing. You do not rip a man-sized hole in someone's roof without making a mess, all right? It doesn't happen. I remember in my camping days, you know, we would have this rhythm. This is back to my first, first job. I worked at Monadnock Bible Conference. Many of you have been there before. And you'd have this rhythm in the camping schedule. The summer was kids. Winter was, was students. But in the spring and the fall, it was mostly like we tried to dress camp up. We did women's retreats and, and men's retreats and those type of things. So you'd come off of this, this season in the fall where like the food got a little bit better. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, we tried to dress up camp and it was, it was, you know, things are spaced out a little bit more because there's fewer people. And then all of a sudden winter would hit and it would be the first weekend where the, the camp would be just packed to the gills with teenagers. And it was jarring in every single way, trying to walk around the dining room, food is everywhere. You know, some of it's getting in people's mouths, a lot of it's not. Uh, it is just all over the place. And inevitably, like a wall gets punched in and a door gets broken. And I just remember like, 
that after that, that Monday, after like the first weekend of camp, it was just like, like we'd gather as a team and it was like we'd been through a war, right? And, uh, you know, some of the staff would sometimes be like, you know, man, it's just, it's so messy. Like it, this is so frustrating that these students don't care about these things. And we had to remind ourselves, that's the cost of doing this type of work. That's the price of admission. Not that we condone foolishness, but if we're going to invite 300 teenagers onto this old property, then guess what's going to happen? Some stuff's going to break, all right? But you know what else is going to break? The hearts of some of these kids for Jesus. And that is, that's worth it. That's worth it. You guys have a beautiful facility, and I, I challenge you to care for it. But I also encourage you to give grace when you have messy things happen in your church, because that means you're serving real people. Amen? You see, church is not a museum. It's much more like a hospital. In a, verse, a couple verses, only a little after this, Jesus describes his mission. He says, I didn't come here for the healthy. I came for the sick. And so if we are going to be people on mission for Jesus, it is going to get messy. And when everyone else in the world says no, we are the people who say yes. We are the people who say yes to the mess. When a family is torn apart, we step in. We are the people who look after those with special needs, just as the story so clearly points out. And we say, we're going to make a way for everyone. We will make a way for everyone. All the topics that were covered yesterday at Thrive so beautifully that are on the heart of the church of, of the Cape, food insecurity, the housing crisis that's happening in this area, mental health and anxiety, caring for refugees. And here's the one that really is hard right now, right? How about this one? loving people with radically different worldviews on the issues of the day. That's the mess that God has called us to step into and to care for people in. See, God could have opened any door. He could have made a way, but he invited these friends to do the messy thing. And friends, when we listen to those who others ignore, we say yes to the mess. When we speak for those who have no voice, we say yes to the mess. When we serve out of our weakness— we say yes to the mess. When we go towards need, like Jesus always moved towards need, we say yes to the mess. Standing in the gap is saying yes to the mess. Embracing the unembraceable. Right after this, Jesus touches, actually right before this, he touches a leper and heals him. He's saying yes to the mess. Jesus' people are moved towards the mess people. That is who we are. There's something else here, though, that strikes me. Note that it's not the lame man and his friend. It's the lame man and his friends, plural. What God is clearly inviting us to do as we say yes to the mess, he's reminding us of this. You're not designed to do it alone. You are not designed to do it alone. And that's the second truth I wanted to unpack today. We need to find others who will say yes to the mess. As plain as I can say it, you will not succeed alone in the way that we will together. Here's another way to look at it. Being a disciple of Jesus, it's a group project. It's not a solo ambition. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. In isolation, especially for people in the Northeast, right? I love you. You're my people, right? Isolation is the enemy's tool to divide the church. Isolation is the enemy's tool to divide the church. We cannot carry, I cannot carry, you cannot carry the weight of the world up a staircase and lower people to Jesus on your own. You cannot do it. 
And this should give you a lot of hope because sometimes I think when we look at what ministry is or we look at the church, we say things like, I don't know if I'm the person who can reach my neighbors. I don't know if I'm the person who could step into that need. I don't know if I could do it. Guess what? You can't. God has invited you to be a part of a team. God didn't choose you because you were the best. He loved you at your worst. You need a team of messy people to do messy things for God. If Jesus built a team, then I think we need a team. And I think that this is one of the things that I'm hoping for the future of the church. As we come out of this pandemic, as we look to the future, that we would be leaders as church leaders that aren't so interested in building platforms that we'd be more interested in building teams. And that that would be the path that God would lead us forward into. To take it further, look at Luke 5.20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say that Jesus saw his faith. It says that Jesus saw the faith of the friends. The heart of God in the act of redemption responded to the friend's faith. That is such an important reminder that Jesus will see our together faith and he will change life. Together is always better and we need to find others who will say yes to the men's. One last big idea. These are friends of courageous and audacious faith, but there's one more thing here that we cannot miss. We say yes to the mess to bring people to the feet of Jesus. That's our mission. That's our goal. Our mission and our goal is simple as this. Bring people to the feet of Jesus. Friends, it's not our power. It's not our program. It's not gonna be our persuasive words. It's not our five steps to a better you. It is none of that. It is the transformational power of Jesus that is the hope of every lost person in this world. And that is something that we need to remember. They didn't go away celebrating the hole that they dug. I'm sure they had some funny stories to tell, right? You'll never guess what happened. They went away celebrating the redemption and healing that Jesus brought into them. We are not the miracle workers. It is God who is the hero who changes life. It is the cross-bearing, death-conquering God who alone has the power to loose chains and liberates soul. And that's what we do. We carry people to the feet of Jesus, not so they will just become better people, but so that their hearts will be transformed. And here's why I think this is so important. Having grown up in New England, from the time I was very young, and again, I, I loved the church and I loved my church, but there's one thing in our region that I feel like God needs to break, and I will give my life to see this changed. From the time I was very young, I was always told that we were the frozen chosen, right? Some of you heard that phrase before. And it's always said kind of in jest that it's a hard turf, it's difficult soil, that people are kind of, they're, they're hard in response to the gospel. But the thing that I realize is this, the enemy has used that for generations to embed a spiritual poverty mindset into the church and the followers of Jesus. That we would think that because it's hard, it will always be hard. Because it's dark, it will always be dark. Because people are far from God, they will always be far from God. And that we don't have enough. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough workers. We don't have enough things. We don't have all the cool toys that the other big churches in other parts of the country have. Friends, we have the hope of Jesus. We have the spirit of the living God. We have everything we need. 
And so I will give my life to not shut out of the darkness because it's dark, but to carry the light into the dark places. That is what I will be about. And friends, the way that an awakening is going to happen, and, and the seeds of it are every, everywhere. One, it's the unity of the church, which is what we saw this weekend. And second, it's for men and women like you and me to believe that God can change lives. Your neighbor, who seems so far from God that they would never entertain the gospel, they're a prime candidate for transformation by Jesus. The workplace that God has put you in, which is filled with darkness, that could be a place of hope and light. And we need to believe what we believe. We need to carry what we carry, and we need to remember. And I pray that my children and their children will not be known as the frozen chosen, but they will be known as the followers of the living God. And that is the hope that we have. We are the remnant. We feel like sometimes we're living in Babylon, but God is doing a good, good thing. And if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. A few weeks ago, I was able to be on a phone call with someone who has meant an immense amount in my life. His name is Peter Vitello. Peter was my youth pastor. And that's almost the largest understatement I could make because Peter's one of the people who helped carry me to Jesus. Peter's one of those people, and here's why. There's a lot of reasons I could unpack for you. It's the leadership development class that he ran throughout high school. We had a youth group of 40 people. God was doing an incredible thing. We would show up an hour early to pray as students. It's the opportunity that he gave me when I barely knew how to switch between two different chords. And he said, guess what? You're a worship leader. It's that confidence that he gave me. And God, in, our, in this little youth group that I was a part of, uh, just Southern New Hampshire, he really did something powerful in that season. And the ripples of that in my life and others echo on. Well, Peter went on from being a youth pastor, and he eventually started pastoring a small community church in a little town called Wilton, New Hampshire. And the church at the time was dying, and it was, there was maybe 20, 30 people. And through God's providence, they kind of, they had their ebbs and flows. It's not been a perfect journey, not all up and to the right, but they, they've had times where they've hit over 100. I think at one point, they might have hit 200 people. But these last couple years have been really hard. Not only has the pandemic been difficult for this small church to be able to weather, but Peter himself has been diagnosed with colon cancer. And he's been trying to pastor a community church as a solo pastor while walking through the most difficult medical journey of his life. And he's been so discouraged. And so I talked to him, and, and honestly, I could just hear the discouragement in his voice. And it was a gift in my life to be able to pour back into Peter and say, no, no, Peter, don't you see? Don't you see all the ways, all the work, all the people, all the influence that God has unleashed because of your faithfulness? Don't you see it? Don't you see? There are marriages that are, are, have been started and are strong. There are families that have started. There are marketplace leaders who've been launched. I can count multiple missionaries and pastors that were birthed out of this one youth group. My life included in that. And it was an important and powerful conversation. But it reminded me of one thing that we see in this story that we don't always see in our lives. And that is this one thing. It says, immediately, immediately the man got up and started to walk. Here's the thing. We don't always get immediately. We don't. But God is the one who does the work in his time. 
It says verse 25, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. See, friends, we sow, but we don't determine when the fruit gets to be seen. Our job is to be faithful. The, mass, the vast majority of the investment we make will be harvested over the course of a lifetime. It's often unnoticed. It's often unappreciated. And many won't know what you do or why you do it. We have urgency, but we don't always get immediacy. See, transformation, we always want breakthrough, and sometimes God gives it. But more often than not, transformation in our lives and the lives of others is a process. It can't be microwaved. It's more like a crockpot. And there are those moments of breakthrough, but we need to recognize that God is in it for the long game. We are not in the business of immediately. We are in the business of carrying people to the feet of Jesus. God is writing a masterpiece, a great story in your life, but often we only get to read the first few chapters. As we say yes to the mess, part of that mess is releasing the impact into God's own care. That's who we are. We are people who say yes to the mess. We move towards need. We do it together. It's a group and community project. And we do that to carry people to the feet of Jesus. Friends, I have great hope. And my hope is in Jesus alone. Would you pray with me? What I'd like to do in this moment as we gather to pray is I'd like to just challenge us to take a moment to pause and think. First of all, I'd love for you just to think for a moment, who are the people in your life who carried you to the feet of Jesus? Who are the Peters? Who are the Sunday school teachers? Who are the friends, the companions who stepped into your mess and were there for you? Take a moment and just thank God for those people. Next, I want to challenge you with this. Whose life has God put you into? What passions and burdens, what issues, what needs, what places of mess has God called you into? Who are the people that you are carrying now? And who are the people that God is calling you to carry to the feet of Jesus? Think of them by name, pray for them by name. Ask God to give you the courage and the hope and the other people around you to step into their mess. And now finally, as we pray today, I just want to challenge if there's anyone in this room who you've yet to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here today because someone else invited you or you heard about this church called Cape Cod Church and, or you've been attending here for a long time, but you've never been transformed fully. You've never said yes to Jesus to be a follower, to accept the gift, the free gift of life that Jesus gives, the forgiveness of sins because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection to be on the team, to be part of the family. If that's you today, I pray that God would give in your heart right now a next step. There are are hundreds of people here in this building, leaders and followers of Jesus who would love to talk to you today about what it means to say yes. God said yes to your mess. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you that when we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We thank you that you've given us pictures, multiple pictures in, in scripture where Jesus is stepping into other people's discomfort, their disability, their challenges and their pain and their problems, and he's transforming. And God, we pray that we would see that in others' lives. God, I pray again that you would just thwart the enemy's tool of discouragement, the lie of spiritual poverty that has captured too much of our region. And God, that you would carry us forward with the hope of Jesus. God, we thank you for this day, for this time together with your people. We say yes to you. It's in Jesus' matchless name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.